Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome, everybody, back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I am your host, Andrew, and of course, I got my co-host, Matt, here with me. It has been a quite little high, uh, short hiatus. Unfortunately, the flu bug got me pretty good, had me sicker than what we've seen out of some Zach Wilson quarterbacking mm-hmm. lately, unfortunately. But we are glad to be back, even if it is through some tough times and some uh, unsteady waters in Florham Park as things have gone on. The New York Jets are coming off a fourth consecutive loss, I believe, uh, fourth in a row, 16 to three to the Jacksonville Jaguars on Thursday night, where their offense was incapable of doing quite literally anything. Their defense gave them a fumble and plus territory on the first drive of the game. They got a field goal as a result, and that was the best they did for the rest of the night. It was a rough outing. Zach Wilson looks destroyed. Uh, practice squad squad Chris Trevler was able to come in and move the ball better than him in short order, which is not a good sign. We got a lot to get into. We got a lot to talk about. Matt, overall, I want you to go ahead and start. Just where do you go after a game like this, where it seemed like everything that could go wrong did? Um, I don't know. I, I remember in the press conference after the game, uh, Saul was asked about playoffs. He's like, I'm not worried about the playoffs right now. We just need to get out of this rut. And really, I guess that's all you can really do right now. Like, the playoffs are kind of uh, out of the mix. I mean, we're kind of still in it if uh, a lot of things break the right way. But at the same time, we're not really in it. And it, it, to look ahead that far is pointless at this point. So I'm, I'm with Sala. We just, the playoffs are not on, our, on, on my mind right now. Uh, it's all about just winning the next one and winning the next one after that. But first comes Seattle. Uh, and after the game the, like this that, against the Jaguars and the game before that against Detroit, they were two very, very winnable games. And you just have to think, like, w- if we had Mike White, would we have won those games? And a lot of me wants to say, yes, I think so. Uh, even though Zach seemed to be very on point with his uh, deep balls, whether they were all accurate or not, or just heroics by the receivers. However you want to play it, uh, the deep ball was working for Zach. Either way, uh, he had another 300-yard game. 
And uh, but it, it was there was a lot of of bad also in that game. Just about everything between those giant bombs was absolutely horrific to watch. Uh, and it didn't get much better against the Jaguars. Uh, again, there, he just seems not really in it. Uh, the, whether he isn't reading uh, coverages, he isn't reading leverages, he isn't going through his progressions. It, it, it's all just not working. And I don't think anybody could really expect him to be all the way back after three weeks. Um, I know, I know Salah was kind of giving some lip service, like, oh, he's improved a lot. Uh, but no, he, he hasn't improved a lot. He's maybe improved a lot since the Patriots game, uh, which isn't saying much. And if he has, it's minuscule. Uh, it's not noticeable at all. Uh, so where are we with Zach? I don't think he, right at, at this moment, has any future with the team. Uh, which then in turn brings up another great question. What do we do next? What do we do next at quarterback? Yeah, that's going to be the million dollar question. And there is a lot of options that could be done. I think there's a very strong possibility that Mike White is going to be a priority resign because if you let him out the building, then who do you have? And (laughs) right. There really is no set answer in stone whatsoever. And if I have to be the guy to make this point, I will. I'm sorry. Chris Trevler is a great story. He is not an NFL quarterback. No, he's not like no, it's, no, it's no, no. and it's OK to admit that. Like, I don't think that's a problem. Like we can be realistic that this guy was a practice squad player for a reason. And he just does not have an NFL caliber arm. The mental aspect of what he was doing on a couple of plays was correct. And the the throw that really says everything for me was on the last drive of the game where they had the ball on offense and he's throwing a deep out to the right, I believe it was to Elijah Moore, and he throws it on time and it's an accurate read and it's a good like decision to make that throw. But the ball takes so long to get to the receiver that it gives the DB a chance to come back into the play and break it up. That is not an NFL caliber arm. And you just can't no. succeed without a certain baseline of arm strength in the NFL and Strebler just does not beat that. I don't think he's a realistic option. I don't think Zach Wilson's a realistic option. Blacko absolutely isn't a realistic option at what's going to be 38 plus years old. That's absolutely not something that you can put all your eggs in and hope to bank for that basket. So I think Mike White's going to be a priority resign first and foremost, and you have to keep this guy in your building and not necessarily give him the reins and say, here you go. You're the franchise. Everything's on Mike White's shoulders, but you got to keep him for at the very least having a sustainable offense and a system that you can continue to run to not ruin the development of everyone else on your offense beyond Mike White. That's when things get really tricky because the question is how aggressive do you want to be? And with that said, do you even have the capital to do it? There's a lot of guys like we've talked about, Matt, that are going to need resigns and going to need new contracts in the very near future. None more so than Quinn and Williams. Mm-hmm. who has been the best player on this team this year, arguably. Had another sack fumble, the best play of the defense in the first drive. Like I mentioned, they turn the ball over and get three points out of the offense. That was because Quentin Williams gets a sack fumble on third down. You need guys like that in your building. And if you are outright swinging for the fences, trying to throw money at anybody who you think could come in and be a, a serviceable quarterback for you, you may not have enough in your arsenal, in your cap space 
to pay for a Quinn and Williams extension too. And what's this defense going to look like without him? We saw what it looked like without him against the Lions. And it was not great. <laughs> it was not great. They they had a really tough time in the middle of their defense defending the run, getting pressure pretty much the defensive line that supposedly this gigantically monstrous unit didn't really seem to be able to be that effective without Quinnen in there. It's going to be a big deal if he can't be re-signed. Yeah. So when I'm looking at this as a, a macro perspective, I think the best thing you can do is hope Mike White's ribs are healing. Hope that he can play well enough over these next two games to confirm what you already believe, which is that he can be a serviceable player. Give him a shot at the job next year. Bring in some competition, whether it be a draft pick, whether it be a veteran free agent like a Garoppolo or a Minshew, and let some guys like that battle it out. Look where your options lie after that. Could you try and swing deep? and say, let's lure a Lamar Jackson and make a trade package to Baltimore, if that's even a possibility. Yeah, but I'm going to be honest, Matt. I think this is where we need to get into after this. I don't know if the team's ready for that right now. And I think there's still building that needs to be done on this roster to support a quarterback to thrive in the way that we need them to thrive, to where it's not going to always have to be on their shoulders or the shoulders of one or two other guys on the offense. It's got to be an entire unit, and it might need a new play caller on top of that. I don't know if this is necessarily the time that you need to be swinging for the fences, going for broke and trying to sell out for the best possible guy, because you could be in a situation where you hamstring the rest of your roster and you don't have the talent outside of that one guy to make up for it. We haven't seen this work. The Browns are struggling with Watson. The Russell Wilson experiment has been a horrendous situation. And I think Lamar Jackson's world's better than both of those guys. But that doesn't mean that it's automatically going to work out First and foremost, because I just don't think the Jets have the offensive line to get it done right now. No. And also, I don't think they have the capital to get it done. Uh, he would cost probably he'd probably have the 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 largest contract the uh, out there right now, which would probably be fifty million a year average, uh, which we just don't have. We would have to cut a large part of this roster <laughs> to even get him in. Uh, never mind, bring people back the amount of holes that we would have to fill is tremendous. And the amount of draft capital we have is not like we had last year. We don't have two first round picks. We don't have two no. second round picks. We, uh, it's, we just don't have what it takes to fill a roster. We're down a six for needs. James Robinson. Who's now inactive yeah. every game. Well, not that that six rounder was going to do much other than maybe give one us less capital. than what they had one less, but yep, exactly. Uh, and, so, no, I, I don't think a Lamar Jackson is in the cards for us if he even becomes available. I think uh, the Mike White of the world uh, is more where we want to put our cards right now. With somebody that knows the system, that we know can thrive in the system, uh, and probably won't cost us an arm and a leg. Uh, then it gets a little murky. What do you do after Mike White? Let's, let's just assume we do bring Mike White back. Uh, if we draft somebody... Uh, it's most likely not going to be a first rounder. I don't think. I, I don't think they no. would do that right now. I I think that it would probably be somebody in the mid rounds with uh, some developmental uh, uh, high end uh, a guy that has some developmental uh, prospects to him. But uh, other than that, maybe another uh, another vet that's kind of like White and just have him battle it out. But then 
how how expensive is that? And what do you do with Zach and all of this? Where where does Zach go? I I don't think we can trade him without taking a huge uh, hit with dead cap. Uh, and I don't think we'll cut him. And I don't know what his trade value is. So he's just kind of like a I don't know like a cystic twin that's just kind of sitting on our shoulder right now. We have you no know what, what you know what he's going to be. He's he's Christian but, Hackenberg. Uh, yeah. He's going to be Christian Hackenberg. But at, here's the thing. With Christian Hackenberg, I hated him coming out. And I hated him when he was with us. And no, nothing really changed as far as expectations. I like that coming out. We all saw what we had in uh, uh, what BYU had with Zach, with his ability to be accurate, with his ability to read coverages, with his ability to read leverages. And we thought all of this would translate uh, his ability to move as well. And it just seems like he's regressed so much mentally that the the far it's just like such a far cry from what he was at BYU. But I still think he's capable of it. I, I, unlike Hackenberg, I, I never thought Hackenberg was capable of anything, really. I think he's still capable of it. So... I don't think they're going to give up on him to the point where they want to get rid of him. But I think they're definitely going to want him sitting for a good chunk of time. But then it gets into the question of what good is that? Is he just wasting space then if he's just sitting? Uh, and I, I truly don't know how to look at Zach going forward. Of Is, is he just going to be third string, not activated? Uh, and then you, you have two other quarterbacks ahead of him? Or just cut our losses now and and just move on uh it's truly maddening to think of all these scenarios i think there's another very important question that needs to be answered with that before we can even begin to get into what happens with zach wilson and whether he's on this team or not how it affects him while he's on this team again in the future and it's what happens with our coaching staff because I'm going to be honest, Pat, do you think Michael Floor is the type of coach that could fix Zach Wilson right now? No, not at all. Uh, but I, when I look at LaFleur, I look at a young coach that has in his head what he wants, and he wants his players to mold into that. And a lot of it's a very QB-friendly t- uh, system also, so I don't think that's a wild thing to really want or to assume your quarterbacks can do and just about every quarterback that has been in his system has done exactly what they needed to do to to play well and to thrive uh except for zach so i I, when i feel like when he was met with zach's the issue of zach he had no idea how to fix him he had no idea how to change things up but that in itself seems like a problem because when Strebler comes in, he changes the entire offense to kind of fit this gimmicky quarterback that we have that can't throw 20 yards down the field. Uh, so he is able to change things up for uh, a guy and his limitations. So why couldn't he do it with Zach? That's what I'm curious about. Like, I, I think somebody asked Saul the other day, like, why what, people are calling him up, telling him, why aren't you putting Zach on the move more? And he was saying his answer was, "Oh, quarterbacks need to be able to stand in the pocket and make throws." But guess what? We know that's not working. It's not working for Zach. He's not comfortable in that role. 
So why do it? It's just maddening to see them do the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. That is true insanity. Uh, so that is a, that, that's something that I'm really holding against this coaching staff is that even though, who knows, maybe if they did alter things for Zach, that he probably still would have been bad. That's all very possible. But the fact that they didn't try kind of is, it really irks me to the point where I don't know what their future is because if they can't adjust, then they're really hindering their ability to grow. And then it gets into a lot of questions of can Salah fire LaFleur? <laughs> These guys are friends. Like he's the brother of his best friend who he was his best man for at, 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 at his wedding. So it, there's a lot of gray area there that, and a lot of uncomfortable uh, situations that nobody really wants to deal with. So it, 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 I don't know if anybody wants to jump in those waters and really try to figure it out. Uh, but I, I really don't know where we go. I, I think it goes beyond even just that, to be quite honest. I'm, there's no leader in the offensive room right now. There's no one. There, there's no one that you can sit there and point to and look at and go, as a coach, this is the guy that we can look towards for guidance. This is the guy that we can look towards for experience. This is the mm-hmm. guy that we can look towards to to get us out of jams that's been in this situation before, that's been an offensive coordinator of a team that's struggling, of a team that had a, a run game that wasn't working with their base calls and an offensive line that was struggling to get push off the snap, that's had a quarterback that's struggling, that's been around other coaches that have done it and then have picked up from and learned from them as well. We have a guy right now that, in Michael Floor, quite honestly, that I think is is in over his head. I really do. And this most recent press conference that he had today was the most defeated I've ever seen him as a Jets coach. He looked he looked completely and totally broken. And it looks like he he had he's out of answers that he has no idea what to do anymore. And the, the only hope that he had was Mike White being able to come in. And and let's be very clear about this. For a lot of what Mike White did well was because of Mike White. He was not, Mike White was getting the ball out quick. Mike White was sensing pressure, but he was fitting some throws into some tight windows. He was finding opportune checkdowns at the right time and giving them room to run. It wasn't like we were seeing a completely drawn up wide open game plan outside of the Chicago game against a terrible defense, which I think is really not something you can even consider at this point. We didn't see any games against real opponents with Mike, even with Mike White, where it was, wow, this offense is really clicking and LaFleur is calling the the greatest play and this was an awesome design. And and think about plays like fourth and one against the Lions, a game that we didn't get to cover because of my illness. They have a situation where the Lions have a fourth and one and their offensive coordinator draws up a play that gets a backup tight end wide open enough to score a 50-yard touchdown. Was that play because of Jared Goff? No. That was because of Ben Johnson, the Lions OC. When have we seen an opportunity where we can credit LaFleur like this and go, this game plan was excellent. Look at the Jaguars 
but what they did to the Jets defense, Doug Peterson called an excellent game as a head coach. Absolutely excellent game. Trevor Lawrence looked perfect. Looked like he was having no struggles whatsoever against one of the best defenses in football. And they didn't score that many points, but they were able to pick up yards in bunches. And Jets defense did what they did and stiffened up in the red zone and limited to field goals. It was a windy, rainy game, and the Jaguars were committed to running the football. They got out to a lead early, and they took their foot off the gas because they didn't knew they didn't even have to worry about the Jets scoring. Either way, they were able to win time of possession and completely and totally dominate the contest. It, it was a clinic, in my opinion. That's what a well-oiled offense looks like with a veteran play caller at the helm that is able to design an offense to their opponent. I don't think we've seen it all from Michael Floor any game planning to where you, we go into a different game and go, this is the team we're playing this week, and we've specifically drawn up concepts that we expect to beat them. It seems like we call our same plays, like you said, and even when it doesn't work, we just try it again. It's, it's just as bad as a play caller, in my opinion, right now, as it is as a at quarterback. And there's a lot of other problems, too. This veteran offensive line has been horrible. This has been absolutely horrendous. Connor McGovern, Lakin Tomlinson, George Fant, for three guys that were supposed to be starters before the season, have been awful. The only two guys on this offensive line that have played every game in Tomlinson and McGovern have been awful. They're not providing any help in the run game. The run game was invisible against the Jaguars. McGovern was getting walked back into people on a sack on Zach Wilson like it was a sled drill in practice. Blake and Tomlinson's getting pushed in, back into the line of scrimmage on run plays on third and one on the last uh, one of the last drives where Strebler's got the ball and they hand the ball to Zonovan Knight on third and one and the front side gets collapsed. George Fant gets completely and totally O-laid. Herbig gets pushed back two yards into the backfield. McGovern doesn't get any movement off the ball whatsoever and Lake and Tomlinson gets knocked back into Zonovan Knight for a tackle for loss. The, there's so many problems and a lot of these guys are guys that were handpicked by this offensive coordinator at some point we have to go back and hold them accountable for the job of coaching that they're doing on top of just how poorly the execution is do the players deserve blame for the execution absolutely but can we blame the coaching staff for how they're being coached too yeah we have to and yeah we, accountability i think it starts there why has nobody been benched? That, that like I I get it that we're running on fumes here as far as depth on along the offensive line, but we have LDT uh, in the waiting. Cedric Abwehi outplayed has like, outplayed George Fan. Yeah, Cedric Abwehi was a better right tackle than George Fan. The best game that our offensive line happened, uh, a game that this offensive line had, a game with Abwehi uh, at at right tackle and for Fan. Uh, and and for Max and the, against the Bills, uh, that that offensive line played lights out that game, and it showed in the offensive be, offense being able to flow down the field uh, throughout the the whole game, and especially on that last drive where we ran eight plays in a row. The, 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 we've never run that well since. <laughs> so, yeah. it and they and the Jets haven't run that GT counterplay once since that Buffalo drive that won it, them the game. It's, it's so weird. Just not seeing what works what, or what has worked ever being used again. And it's just a tiring like, series of the same thing over and over again. That doesn't work. And I'm sick of seeing it. So back to my, my uh, kind of uh, question before of 
what do we do with Lafleur? What will does Sala have the fortitude to fire his friend? I think if the next two games, if if Mike White comes back and the Jets' offense is still stagnant, I I don't know I don't know how Lafleur can keep his job. I'm sorry. I think this offense is broken well beyond its quarterback, and it needs a veteran-proven play caller to come in to fix it. Like, it, it's it's staggering. These I said this earlier today on my other show on Believe in Jets when I was speaking with Lamont Jordan. The, the, the difference in play callers between Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota, Ben Johnson in Detroit, and Doug Peterson in Jacksonville in these last three games the difference in play calling, the difference in sequencing, the difference in in a million and one answers and doing whatever works, regardless of what if it's their base offense or however it works. And the the stealing of plays from weeks before where I saw weeks and weeks in a row, the Jets have been getting killed by that tight end, you know, motion on the snap on short yardage. CJ Mosley jumps over the snap with the tight end and falls for it. And that's a first down because the Bills scored with it the week before. And then you have a, a pitch play where it's the Jaguars I saw on tape from the week before against the Cowboys call that same motion and they get a tight end lined up over the ball and then they call a toss to the outside. We don't see we saw the Jets try that on a short yardage and they ran it with I believe it was CJ Uzama and they picked up a first down. That was about the most creative we've seen of let's take a play from somebody else, but we don't ever see sequencing. We don't ever see things building off of each other. And it was just a, it's a huge difference to me. I'm, I'm really worried that Mike White is going to come back and play and play. Okay. Cause he's Mike White and he's able to execute an offense. Well, and I think there really is something to his ability of timing and sense of feel in the pocket where I really think he can be effective. And if, I'm worried it's going to inflate Michael floor. And I think that this is an offense right now. And we've seen after AVT has gone down after Brees Hall is no longer there. And really the only consistent thing we have on offense being Garrett Wilson. I'm worried. This is an offense that runs through its stars and not through its play caller. And you need both in the NFL. Uh, scenario here. LaFleur's brother gets fired. (laughs) Would you replace the LaFleur with the other LaFleur? I'd consider it. Uh, I, I I certainly would consider it. The only thing that I would be worried about, and I think it would, this is where we would definitely talk about as the offseason goes on. The thing with the Green Bay offense is it works at its best when there's an element of a power run game, mm-hmm. and the Jets have none of that. And none they of it were right there, now. None of it right now, but they're going to need an offensive line overhaul to make that happen too. Yes. And I think they might need an offensive line overhaul, period. But that's going to be a lot of turnover in one year. I wouldn't be opposed because honestly, I think, can you attribute some of that to Aaron Rodgers? Absolutely. But I also think Matt uh, Matt has done a pretty solid job in Green Bay overall uh, with the talent that he's had at his disposal. And I wouldn't be opposed. Uh, either way, um, I really just can't. I can't support Michael Four in the future. I'm sorry. I just can't. I haven't seen enough. I haven't seen enough as a developer of talent. I haven't seen enough as a sequencer of, uh, of play calling. I haven't seen enough as a play designer. And this offense, the identity that they want for it is so, so soft. 
like they 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 don't want to be the tougher team. They want to be the fancier team, and and they're getting their crap kicked in because of it. Yeah, it, it's sad to see, uh, especially because this team is so full of talent too, especially as far as offensive weapons. Uh, and, and then we get Hall back next year. Uh, hopefully he gets back to his uh, natural self sooner rather than later. And it, to waste it uh, with a with an offensive coordinator with no creativity, with no ability to adjust, with just no vision a- at all, is it, it's kind of a, a, just a normal Jet story, though. Like, when was the last time we have had a great offensive coordinator yeah. that didn't know what he was doing? Maybe Mortensen? I don't know. <laughs> that, that, that's... Morton wasn't awful. Uh, he didn't have a lot to work with. Uh, I, I will die on the hill that if the Jets just would have rolled with Jeremy Bates and Sam Darnold, that they could have done better than what they're doing now. Oh, uh, yeah. Like but The last game was definitely Bates-esque in how inefficient they are and were. It, it's... It's sickening to see. I and you know what, I I think it's imperative for Sala to make this move because next year the expectations are playoffs or bust. And if we bust, he's gone. I don't think. And I so think will Joe the, Douglas. And so so will Joe Douglas. They can't afford to sit on their hands and not trim the fat because and there's a lot of fat. And I I know that it's uneasy to think of that much turnover and expect to kind of carry on being as good as we were at some parts this season. But at the same time, it's needed because if you don't, it's nothing's going to change. It's going to be like the same tired things that we saw every single game with Zach that didn't work. We're just going to see it again. And again, and again, we're going to see games with no plan, no vision, uh, no creativity again and again. And we're going to lose games because of it. And we'll probably miss the playoffs because of it. It's it's a shit situation. It's there's there's no good thing that we can really say uh, to really make this any better. It's it is what it is. And something needs to be done. And worst of all, uh, this is kind of where I want to end with this, because I think we should talk about some positives before we get out of here. But the last point I want to make, you're going to piss off the only star talent you have. Do you think Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall are going to want to keep playing in this offense when free agency for them comes up in a couple of years, mm-hmm. when they have an opportunity to potentially hit the market? Do you think they might want a breath, a breath of fresh air to go somewhere else with a proven quarterback? or to go somewhere else with an offensive line that isn't going to have them getting their teeth kicked in every other snap uh, with a coordinator that can scheme up some plays that, that are better fits to what they do. It's, it's a dangerous, dangerous situation. They're not going to risk. They're going to start turning on Sala too. Just like we've seen the team turn on Zach Wilson. And luckily Sala has had a good enough of a grip on everything else to keep everyone united if they get rid of Zach and someone else comes in at quarterback, whether it's Mike White or whoever, and it's the same problems and the same 
problems on the offensive line with the same guys that they run it back with again that continue to fail. Is everyone else in that building just going to be okay with it? Are guys like Elijah Vera Tucker going to want to put up with that? Being bounced around every year is the band-aid for their inability to find other players on the line. I'm I, I really think you're playing with fire and you finally have the youth that you've been dying for. You finally have the young star talent that you've been begging for for so long. These are the guys you need to keep on your team for their entire careers if you want to be a successful team. It's that simple. Yep, but then it goes back to to the quarterback. Who do we get? Because the only way we can keep these people is if we have the cash to do it. And we don't have the cash to do it if we start spending big on kind of mediocre talent like Carr. Well, no, I'm not going to say Carr's mediocre. I'm going to say he's a, a well above average. Middle of the pack. M- middle. High high middle, let's say. <laughs> like out, Middle with upside. Out, outside the top 10. Inside the top 20, yeah, it's middle of the back. <laughs> uh, if we're spending if big you're not coins, a top 10 quarterback, you're a middle of the pack quarterback to me. It's like you're oh, either yeah. a, a supreme difference maker or you're middle of the road. But you know what? We are okay with middle of the road. Middle of the road can win a lot of games with this, this talent. With Mike White. Middle, Mike White is the definition of middle of the road quarterback. And we can win games with Mike White. But we need the leadership that can bring us there because they can't do it by themselves. They need help, whether it's offensive line help. Benton, he hasn't done anything to to elevate this offensive line. Gone. LaFleur hasn't been creative enough to scheme around the deficiency of his offense. Gone. Miles Austin. You know, you know who I would I would really really consider, and I'm kind of kicking myself for not thinking of this before. Mm-hmm. But if things check out with medicals, and this team wants to go in the direction of the younger guy that they've drafted, what about trading for Ryan Tannehill? Ryan Tannehill. Uh, see, once you start getting into trades, that makes me nervous how, how old is tan hill these days i believe he's 32 he's only got one year left on his contract uh, he's 36 uh, uh is incorrect he, he's uh free agent in 2024 i believe uh so how, what, what would that 27 million like? base salary he's got 18 million in dead cap after this year as an an out for 2023 with an 18 million dollar dead cap so it would be unlikely that he were to be cut they would save with 27 million base salary and 18 million dead cap they would save 9 million by cutting him so he might be cut yeah. after 2023 after 2023 or if you're the jets and you're worried about that then you bring them on for a one-year rental, and then you can cut them and save money at the end of 2023. And then it's all about what's the compensation look like uh, and, for a 36-year-old yeah. uh, with a cap number of, what, $36 million? Uh, uh, Looking the 36.6. Yeah. So that's, that's still a lot. <laughs> 
It's a lot, right. but that's one of those situations where I think that's why the Titans might be looking to move him if they know that they're planning on going with Malik Willis. I I I still think that's too much, uh, especially if we know we can win with somebody that costs a lot less. Uh, Do we know that? Do we know that? Do we know that? No, but also we we should be able to win. Do we know that we can? No. Uh, We have the talent. We know we have the talent with a guy like Mike White should be able to win these games that a lot of these games that we're losing right now. Do we know for sure that we would have won? No, we don't know that. But I am confident that we could have won and we probably should have won with a Mike White at the helm of a Detroit game or at the helm against the Patriots uh, or at the helm even against the Jaguars. So I think, yes, we can go for far with uh, worse than, than Tannehill for less. But, but, and it's a big but, we have to fix everything else around them. And that starts at the top with the coaching. And that's what kind of my worry is I don't know if you're, I, I think you're right. I'm not sure if Sala will fire old floor. I think he should. I think that there's, there really isn't much. Uh, you'd have to completely revamp your offense and, and convince me otherwise in these next two games that you know what you're doing. But I, I don't know if it's going to happen. And so that's why I'm kind of hoping if there would be someone that they could get that would be affordable, that would be a veteran, I would hope to do it for one year if they can get out after the year if things go badly, or if they can position themselves to find another avenue in the draft, maybe in the future, maybe that's when you bundle things ahead and you do a 49ers and you trade away some assets in the future. Yes. All this just makes me like sick because it just makes yeah, me think it really about sucks, doesn't it? It just makes me it's really sad that shit didn't work out with Zach because Zach was supposed to be this guy, the be the guy that really uh, gave us the the time with a rookie contract, gaining the experience, ha- has the talent to really push us ahead and be the guy for uh, for now and drive this talent to the promised land. And the fact that he is so far from that just sets us back so far and has us asking questions that we don't want to ask and with answers that we don't really feel comfortable with uh, completely. So it's it's kind of a really bad situation. Uh, but I, I even with all that going on, I'm still hopeful. Like I still think that we have the guys in the building uh, to get it done. So do do things need to change? Yes. Is it everything? No. But it's definitely enough between personnel and coaching that needs to change where uh, it's going to look different next year. It should look different next year. If it doesn't look different next year, then don't expect anything different. No, that's, that's the big question. And I'm I'm certainly worried about it. Let's close out with a little bit of positives, because I do think that there is some some good things to take away from this game. Uh, Our young defensive ends are playing really, really well. Mm -hmm. Jermaine and Michael Clemens had awesome games. 
They every time they were in, they were making plays in the run game. Jermaine killing tight ends like usual. Clemens doing his usual thing on the uh, backside of plays, not giving up any uh, contain on the edge to uh, giving up any contain on the edge. Decleated Trevor Lawrence on a play later in the third quarter uh, when he's chasing in pursuit. There's positives to take from that angle. I thought this was another solid game from Sauce Gardner. Uh, covering a giving up a drag route and man coverage in that position is very, very tough when you're sitting there with outside leverage and they're going to call a drag right in front of you and you're going to have to run through all that trash. It's really hard to keep up. Uh, I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh, God, that's a terrible rep from him. Had a, a great tight window throw from Trevor Lawrence to a tight end that he almost got back to. That's, you know, as close as he could have hoped for. It was a better play by the quarterback than it was a bad play by Sauce Gardner. There's a lot of things to hope from him. Garrett Wilson, despite the the inability that was around him, still found his way to be able to make a couple of plays. It wasn't much, but we're still seeing the the ability from him. There's still a lot of youthful talent on this team. And this 2021 draft class is hopefully going to need to be what propels this team in the future to keep going. Uh, it's it's going to fall a lot on their shoulders for a lot longer and a lot more games in the future. Yeah, and we, we talked about having to need cash going forward to bring back a lot of the guys that we want to bring back. Uh, and that means we're going to have to probably make some cuts. And one of the prime uh, examples of a guy that it might be on the chopping block is uh, is the ed, our edge rusher, uh, Carl Lawson. Uh, he'll give us a nice chunk of change if we cut him in this offseason. And we're going to need the guys... Uh, behind him to really step up the Clemens, the Johnsons, uh, the the Huffs, if we bring them back. So I, what we've seen so far is very encouraging. Uh, I think there's a lot of room to grow. And if they reach that potential, I think losing a guy like Lawson won't be felt very much. Uh, and when we're looking back at the Alliance game uh, and how the defensive line looked without Q. It looked very pedestrian. Uh, the edge rushers weren't able to do anything, mostly because the Lions knew that that's all they really needed to focus on were the edge rushers. They knew that we didn't have much else in the interior, so they didn't really worry about them that much. Uh, so it, we, we need some guys to step up on the edge. Uh, but more importantly, we need more uh, on the inside. Because with Q gone, there's nothing there. We need to rebuild that the middle of our, our uh, defensive line uh, so that it's more than just Q. Q can rotate in and out, and there's more there to, to of, of substance that can really get after the quarterback and take pressure off the edge rushers, take pressure off the JJs and the Clemens and the Huffs in the future. I'll tell you what, Solomon Thomas had a nice game. He did have a nice game. That That's true. But you know what? Maybe that's only because Q was back. And that's certainly possible because uh, it definitely wasn't as nice of a game, you know, the week before against Detroit. But we can only hope for improvement. Maybe over these last next two games, Solomon Thomas wakes up and continues playing well, and he can be another key in the cog in the future. But you're right. They're going to need another more bodies in that unit uh, in the near, near future. I'm worried about JFM. Uh, I'm still, you know, questioning that deal wondering how long that's going to be in the future, whether he's going to be another guy that's going to be starting or is Clemens going to take over his spot completely. And we're going to see JJ and Clemens become starters both in one off season instead of just Carl being cut. Are we going to have two new edge rushers? 
there's going to be some room that's going to have to be made. This is going to be another wild, interesting offseason. Make sure you guys are following tune for that. It's not going to be as uh, fruitful. We're not going to be able to sit there and go, they got all this money and all these picks, and let's just pick every hole we need to fill and and find a guy that works and stick stick it there, and we're going to be good to go. We're going to have to make some tough choices. This is going to be a really rough season. I'm hopeful. I do think, like you do, Matt, that we do have the guys at the top that should be able to right the ship and get everything going in the right direction. But there's a lot of key pieces that they got to get first. And these next two games are going to be really telling uh, over where they're going to stand going into the offseason, what needs to get done and what needs to get fixed. Right now, it's looking like a lot. It is a lot. Uh, but you know what? With all that said, we're still kind of in the playoff. The, there is a realistic road for us to get to the playoffs this year. Even with all this doom and gloom going on, there's still a chance. I mean, what, what do we need to happen? We need definitely uh, two of the three teams with between the Chargers, Dolphins, and and the Patriots uh, to lose two games uh, in the next three. Uh, for the Patriots, I think that's very possible. Uh, for the Dolphins, one of those games is against us, so really they just need to lose one of the other two. Uh, the Chargers, it's a little less uh, likely because they're playing a bunch of scrub teams with uh, who Denver, Indy, and the Rams. Uh, yep. It's possible, but I mean, at, I'm not going to count on that as much as the other two. Uh, so there you is need a the Jaguars chance. to beat the Titans and win the division. Yeah. Well, I, I, actually, I don't think that matters as much, right? Because uh, either way, if uh, Jaguars or Titans don't win out, I think will still be ahead of them, I believe. Uh, well, regardless, the Jets have to win their next two games. None of this, happens, games none no of this happens if the Jets don't beat Seattle and don't beat Miami. So yes. regardless of anything else, they need to win their next two games and they need to finish the season at 9-8. and eight. They need to get to nine wins. So if Mike White comes back and Lafleur's, you know, feeling, feeling himself a little, knowing that he's got a quarterback that can run his offense the way he wants it run, uh, and they go on a little two-game run, and things break the right way. We're talking about a much different team, and we're we're our conversations aren't really going towards oh, what what do we do? Oh, what 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 are we going to do in the off season with quarterback and offensive coordinator? Then all of a sudden, gears switch very quickly, and we're back in it. Uh, and that would also be a very Jets thing to happen, like where everybody's just looking towards the draft and. And uh, really down on ourselves, and then all of a sudden we're we're back in it, and we're all excited again. I don't know. It's it's. I, I kind of want us to just be put away and just look forward to the draft because we were saying before the the episode. Uh, do we even really want to get in just to be eliminated in prime time and embarrassed by the Chiefs? Uh, that's that's a big question. And I'm not really sure where I stand on it at this point. Um, I would love to see the drought end. I would love to see Mike White play well enough to to will them into that situation and think that maybe he could be something for the future and maybe we're not so screwed at quarterback after all. And, and there really is a path to continue the plan, but there's a lot that has to happen outside of that too. And Quite honestly, even if Mike White is back, I'm not sure the Jets' offensive line can protect him well enough to get that done right now. Yeah, that's true. I, I don't trust these guys to to keep White healthy for if, even if he does come back. 
Uh, and that's still a big question mark on whether he can come back at all. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's more than likely that we're done. Put a fork in us. But, uh, you know what? Just, uh, the little bit of, of hope is still there. Uh, there was improvement. Sa- there was improvement. And Sala, oh, yeah, o- overall improvement. I mean, I think before the season, uh, I had us at around seven wins. So we're there. We've we've met my expectations. Uh, of course, during the season, expectations uh, change, you know, with how things are going. So we were expecting a little bit more after that. But you know what? We're right back to where we were in the summer, where we wanted us to be. Uh, where do we go from here? That's that's a bigger hole that we got to dig into later. Yeah, we got all off season to figure that out. That's the good thing about that. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate the patience during the short little hiatus. Hopefully the flu bug is completely and totally gone and out of me and only uh, seems to be the negativity bug is around Florham Park. We can leave that there. Don't have to have any more of that. Thank you guys one more time for tuning in. Make sure you're following the show at OKD Podcast on Twitter. You can also follow me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. Matt, let's go ahead and get out of this one. Uh, Matt, you can find me at Zazzy Jets. Thank you guys one more time for tuning in and we'll be back next week to break down the Seattle Seahawks looking ahead to the Jets desperation over the last two weeks. Hope to maybe get in for a late playoff push and and finish this weird, crazy season off on a positive note. We'll see what happens. Thank you guys one more time. Bye bye.